Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at, at 38 Godfrey. On, you just plug it into any social media network. If it's on there, it's on there. Just surprise You're yourself. so cohesive. Just Well, it's two, so, and then okay, I quit yeah. everything else, so. That's fair. We will have a Godfrey coaching update coming up a little bit later on in the show. How should people be consuming National Signing Day? Uh, we've got some advice, some team stats and rankings for everybody out there. Um, uh, we'll, we'll talk recruiting, I guess, as, as best we can uh, or as much as we want to. A lot of coaching news as far as coordinators leaving. Georgia's lost somebody. Te- Texas A&M has lost somebody. We'll get into a lot of that as well. What's going on with Auburn as quarterbacks are transferring all across the SEC? A lot of other news in quarterbacks. As uh, Matt Corral is gone, Hendon Hooker is coming back. We'll get to all of that, what that means as well. And of course, much to Stephen's chagrin, Aaron, we will discuss the Heisman Trophy for a moment or two uh, at the front end, um, and I'll give you my ballot. However, before we do that, Aaron Dugan, Fringe Element, is brought to you by... Jasper's, the true meaning of Christmas. (laughs) All right. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, she really, see, she, she see you guys I, at church on Sunday. I feel like last week. I feel like last week's hard to top. Yeah. What was you've done like four different types of poem. The dirty think, limerick. The dirty limerick was good. The limerick about dirty. Brian. There was a, there was a limerick about limerick about Brian Kelly. What's the one where you do the first letter, Aaron? Acrostic. The acrostic was very good, I thought, mm-hmm. and a haiku. I'm a so. big haiku girl, so yeah. that's my go-to. But try to branch out. How's that working for you? No, I might get into the Sonic game at some point. <laughs> Isn't that A B A B A B and then like a or something like four or four four and then a? Little, I would answer little... this, but I think we have a literary expert on the okay. podcast, so I don't want to get corrected Me? in front of Godfrey. You're no, the one it's... with a Vanderbilt degree. Oh, you're the one that went to Ole Miss Journalism School. Yeah, it's Ole Miss Journalism School. You can get that shit in a drive-through. I believe right, it's so- still Ole Miss. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Let's not kid ourselves. I also graduated with a one nine six. That I had to take a. Have I ever wow. told this story on the show before? I had no, to take go, a go class ahead. by mail because what? they because they I left in December well after I was supposed to, and they were like, "Hey, you've done everything you're supposed to after a long, long time." But we, what? your average after this long, long time is a 1.96 cumulative GPA. And they're like, we, that's not allowed. We've never had this happen before because people with GPAs like that, they usually just drop out of college. But I didn't. I stayed true. So they're <laughs> like, you have to raise your GPA to a two or we can't give you a degree. So shout out to uh, a fine woman named Ellen Meacham, who will not be listening to this. I took by mail teaching journalism to high school students. And had to write out lesson plans. And that's how they finally gave me the degree. Needless to say, I will not be going to grad school anytime soon. And, Real, that's and honestly you went to Vandy. So I don't don't feel any pressure around me. And this is the person who poo-poos the Heisman Trophy and tells us all how to feel. I'm pretty say, sure. I, I said enjoy it. I just said it was an absolute parade of trash. Sort of like your degree. No, it was not really a parade. I mean, I, it would be I funny. A single sheet of trash. You get a one nine six at Vanderbilt. I'm pretty sure they just kick you out because they're like, oh, "You're they, ruining our reputation." Well, no, I, yeah, I, no, I think they like disappear you, like how mafia you, style. How yeah, do I you think actually so, like so like to maintain four, five, six years or whatever of that? That means you're just like not trying and going, not going to class half the time. 
I was getting so I got kicked out more than once. The first time I wrote a letter about how like I don't know I was sad or something and just got right back in. And then oh the God. the last <laughs> time they were like, "Why were you kicked out the first time?" Grades. Okay. Um, right. I moved. Well, there's Did you just not then, try. Like you're well, not a dumbass. In 2000, I don't know, we'll, we'll leave that you day. Probably open. thought the curriculum was like corrupt or like. <laughs> no, it wasn't a moral. It wasn't a moral stance. No, I was just a huge. Um, I I can't remember the, how hard the language filter is on this show, but I was. Um, Go for it. There isn't one. I was a huge fuck up. Um, but but like real good at it. I will say this: I was training Literally. to become a great reporter, but I was also a bartender, and academics just did not factor into that. Like I could meet a daily deadline, and I could go out and do debaucherous nonsense, but like going to college felt very arbitrary. But it probably the class was part. good for your journal, like being was, a journalist, yes. because you had to figure out a way around the normal, the norm. And no, just... I, no, you're look, I, I've told this story in journalism classes before, like when between being a daily beat writer for an SEC school, even if it's the campus newspaper, because I was also stringing for other newspapers and then also being a dirtbag. I knew every <laughs> athletic administrator, police officer, lawyer, drug dealer. Like I knew the entire pantheon in, in this culture. And so if a kid got arrested, people would always call me and be like, hey, can you find out what actually happened? And this like this is I do speak in front of journalism classes and I do say this kind of stuff. And you just what you can see the instructors in the back just kind of have like Braden's look on his face right now. <laughs> no, just a total no, I, wincing pain. No, I, but being on a first name basis with the fraternity district cop. And yeah. it is. I mean, it's good for storytelling. And, and, and the football ops guy. No question. Yes. Um, and you got to know all your dirt bags. What's what's fascinating is that you really were training to be like a 1970s reporter, actually, is what you were really. I, it is funny. Yeah, because like. To be. Um, yeah. And if you want to if you want to do this for a living, if you're listening to this and you are in college or whatever, I would strongly advise that if you want to be a reporter, learn cops, courts and contracts, because how many times I bet you in this show, maybe not this show today, but I bet you in the next show or two, we will have a conversation that will hinge on a contract to do with a coach. And I honestly think in journalism schools in America, they should just teach like intro to contract law, especially if you want to work in sports, because we can talk about like the Lane Kiffin or James Franklin extensions, how they don't actually mean something, but we don't like, I have to have a lawyer explain that to me. And that's some, that's information I wish I just had in my brain. So Tom Luganbill will be on the show today. Uh, who Transition will cover, out of that, buddy. Who will, who will cover the tangent recruiting uh, on the program. All right. As long as we're doing tangents, uh, can I throw a tangent out there real quickly? Tangent away for everybody. You can. Uh, real fast here. Uh, I am uh, honored to be hosting Fine Bomb next week on ESPN Radio, and I would like the two of you to come up with something that I need to work into that audience, so that those who are listening, who are fringe element listeners, know. That was for you guys. Like so, a safe word? Sure. I wasn't going that direction, but. <laughs> oh, glad you said that. Um, off the top of peaches. Say, the word is peaches. Oklahoma. Um, Ooh, just, thought I, just, just thought I'd throw it out there. A little humble brag, but also. I, so is I it, would, are we trying to keep it secret? No, it's, it's, no it's, it's for our audience here on this show. I would just okay. demand I would demand some vocabulary because you're always making fun of me about mine. Okay. Like so Stephen pick a really hard word to work in, but mm -hmm. try to make it seem natural. Actually, I'm not yeah. trying to get us on another tangent. We used to play this game in my family on the holidays where we all would draw a really random line out of a hat. And the goal at big family holidays was to try to work it into a sentence with a group of three or more without people noticing. And my best one I ever got away with was 
it's almost spring in the Congo. So if you could work that into <laughs> nice. the Paul, it's Paul. almost spring in the Congo. Man, your yeah. your your family holidays are so much more productive. Mine is just like make sure no one gets too drunk and then take well, their keys. That's helpful too. It's but almost spring in the Congo. Is that what we're going with here? I think if you could work that in seamlessly, it would be extremely impressive. On the Fine okay. Mom show. Yeah, I just am, try it, Brady. I've okay. got right. okay. I've got a couple here. I've got a couple, but some of these are just going to be there's there really oh is no way to blend them into the kind of conversation that you're gonna have on that show. Obsequiously. No, it's not gonna work either. Okay. All right. So all right, here this is one I feel like will stick out just enough, but you could this. actually work into com in, into conversation. Oh God. All right. I do keep I actually have vocabulary vocabulary lists as I read. And if it's something I encounter that I cannot immediately contextualize, I do stop and look it up, which is how you build a vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Brayden, do you know what the word redolent means? R E D O L E N T. Can I have the language of origin, please? Say it again. R-E-D. What? Redolent. R-E-D-O-L-E-N-T. Okay. I feel like that's something that's happening. I feel like that's something that's happening at Auburn right now. Like open, like open to opportunities and shit. So like Bo Nix. Uh, it's an adjective. Redolent. Common, the most common usage, the most common definition is strongly reminiscent or suggestive of. Um, so here's your synonyms, evocative, suggestive, reminiscent, okay. remindful. Okay. Again, it's redolent. Now I will say this. So watching Georgia lose was very redolent. Yes. So I will okay. say that redolent is often, and this is not, this is not specific to the definition, but in most conversation or most literature, redolent usually has a negative connotation. Okay. Usually. So, like, so it reminds so like you watching of, Georgia strongly reminiscent or suggestive of it can be redolent of something positive i had just i usually encounter it if you're reading fiction especially it's redolent of something like okay. All right. um traumatic you know, or a bad memory or redolent uh, like garbage, perhaps spending the garbage spring can in the was, congo yes the garbage can was spring redolent of eggs or something like that <laughs> it is I didn't, okay i didn't know That's the weather good. was so you nice get look man i just look, what else that you got? one's that that, that one's not that hard yeah i mean the top it, thing on yeah, that, that, you could do that because it kind of sounds yeah. like normal. Yeah, yeah. Like you right. could That's slip it in it. and people would like I mean, not Phyllis really would, question it. Phyllis would be pissed because she wouldn't understand. But right. uh, it, it, like you're right. That one's that one's fairly easy. I don't know how I'm gonna do so would Hal in Winchester, in Arkansas, con- but I mean Winchester, Kentucky. But the first the top thing on Urban Dictionary, if we want to add another layer in there to oh, almost spring in the Congo is gonna be a challenge. But the top thing on today's Urban Dictionary is California sober. Which means to abstain from all drugs except marijuana. Except and marijuana. Yeah. I've heard California. California. I've heard that before too. California. When you sober. don't drink, okay. you just smoke weed. Yeah. I've heard but that. that would also, be tough. Just- also, sort of like the Georgia Bulldogs. <laughs> um, hang on. I'm, I'm going through. All right. That's enough. We have to talk actual football here. That's, okay. Was, if we must. That was two very was, good. That's two very good. Three very good suggestions. So I will see. I hope people are still listening. But Congo is. I mean, the Congo is going to be the, the. That's the actual lift there. It's almost I spring in the Congo. Spring in the Congo. And the best part is that it's almost. But I have to. There's no like. I can use it however I want, right? Like it doesn't matter. I, there's no rules. 
right? Mm. Like, there's no rules. You just have to just slip it, it. I mean, Good. when All you right. play yeah. the game, you'd have to get away with it in a group of three or more without them calling you out. Uh, but the later good. in the night it got, the more you're likely to forget you are yeah, playing yeah, the yeah. phrase game. So you could also just mention my name. I am actually banned from the SEC network. So you could just are throw you really? that out there. Yeah, I am. I was going to see if you were in the air too. I was going to see if you guys wanted to come on. I, this is hey, it's <laughs> not bring Aaron I can. on. I'm definitely yes. not banned from the SEC network. I don't Do know about not, Godfrey. Like uh, Aaron, you work for the SEC network. <laughs> I do have in. a closer connection. I have friends that like split zone duo, the show I co-host Richard Johnson's on there every Monday night in football season on uh, thinking out loud, but I am not, I have been told so by three, Spencer, three individuals right? at, yeah. I've been told you by do three, have to have a better GPA than a one nine six to go on SEC network. That's not true at all. I uh, know um, you're right. Wow. Uh, <laughs> have you heard I'm people call into fine bomb? That's clearly exactly. They don't, yeah. they don't count. That's not what we're talking. Um, about. I've been told by three individuals at the SEC network and it's not a ban from the ESPN side. It is a ban from the conference side. Yeah, that's so, what I figured. Sh- shout out to the conference communication office in Birmingham. LMAO. I'm on a list. So now let's give him a chance to take a dump on the coolest award in the sport. All right. So, uh, Bryce Young wins the Heisman Trophy. Ray guy? Bryce Young wins the Heisman Trophy. Um, he got like 684 first place votes. It's the first time since 1962 that two defensive players finished in the top five. Um, it's the first time since 1980 that a defensive lineman finished as high as second place that, with Aiden Hutchinson. It's the first time an Alabama quarterback has ever won the award. Alabama now has four such trophies, which I believe puts them behind only... I'm doing this off the top of my head. Oklahoma, USC, Notre Dame, I believe. Uh, I, won't, for, I can't fact check you on that off the top Heisman of my head. Trophies. Uh, they all have seven. Ohio State. Sorry, that's the other one. They all have seven. Uh, Alabama, after 105 years of not having a Heisman Trophy, um, they now have four in the last Nick Saban years. Um, Only number, six teams have won it back to back. There you go. No, no, I guess my my only question for you, Stephen, because I don't really want to hear you poo-poo the award any longer. I just... Do, do you do you I have a find question. do you find any comfort? I'll, I'll give you a chance. Do you find any comfort at all with there being two defensive players in the top five that are clearly deserving? Like, do you is that a sign of anything, or you just like just don't care? Uh, I guess if you if I wanted to be nice, I could say it does, but I think the result was always. I mean, I, I to me the runners up. I have no interest in it, and so I don't tend to draw any context from it because the award at the end is just such a fait accompli that I don't really worry too much about second, third, and fourth place. Um, I have a question though, and it is related to a defensive runner up. Was there really? Because I didn't watch a stitch of it. Um, <laughs> Army Navy kind of took it out of me. That was a game. Um, was there really an anti-Ohio State thing going on? Or was oh, this overplayed? No, it, so it's a little overplayed. I did not see it either. I was, uh, my wife and I were walking through the desert in Arizona, but um, it, nice. it was, it was, it was inappropriate. It is not something I would have said if I was standing on the Heisman stage on national television. What did he say? But it wasn't also that big of a deal either. Um, so Aiden Hutch- Desmond Howard, Michigan grad, was interviewing Aiden right. Hutchinson, Michigan player, okay. and he basically was was talking about how why he came back and you know he, he came back to beat Ohio State and win a Big Ten championship and get to the playoff. All pretty standardized stuff. Yeah, I'm fine with all that so um, far. And so he kind of like you know he beats Ohio State and C.J. Stroud is literally standing like four feet away. I'm okay from, with that from him. And, and he, he, so like the crowd kind of like when he says beat Ohio state, the crowd kind of like egged him on a little bit. And, and yeah. then they joked and they said, well, it's a good thing. So-and-so standing in, in between you guys. And I think there was one of the other finalists standing in between. I don't remember who it was. Okay. And, totally harmless joke. Oh, is Des- that it? Desmond Howard. Then again, a, a simple throwaway line. 
Desmond Howard says, I'm paraphrasing here, something of the lines of, well, better than the offense, better than the Ohio State offensive line. Ah, and it is it is not a wait. Wasn't Ryan Day there because CJ's probably, there? Probably yes. Ooh, spicy. So again, with C- CJ Stroud, group got called out. CJ Stroud was clearly not happy about this, but like also didn't react at all. Like didn't good for him. Didn't do anything, but he clearly wasn't happy. Um, Aaron, I'll, I'll ask you this first then because Stephen brought it up. Okay. First of all, like. Do you feel like that's an like it's a throwaway one line? I would not have done it because the stage feels a little bit more um, formal than sort of a what feels like sort of a college game day radio station podcast one line. You know, yeah. Um, what do you think of the, the 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 move there by Desmond Howard, which again has nothing to do with the SEC? <laughs> I mean, it's good. It, I guess it's good TV, although it's only as good as the reaction. So the reaction wasn't great. So it's you know kind of sort of cut off his moment there uh feels a little kanye taylor swift reminiscent to me yeah not really needed (laughs) um (laughs) however that's 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 about right but i will say if we're going back to the initial question which is does this restore faith in the award i would say or a little bit i would venture to say for me yes because i feel that the reason bryce young's performance is what I think landed him the award in like the last two, three weeks of the season. I, and I think that it would have been different had we not had that or could have been, had we not had that insane, you know, end of the season stretch from him, he peaked at the exact right time. So for me, having two defensive guys that high gives me a little bit of faith. Uh, Yeah, it's, that's fine. Yeah. 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 It's good. It's (laughs) It's, now it's good. Would Bryce Young not have won it? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what that would look like. I, I but also, I think he won it. I don't think he default yeah, won yes, it. I think he won yes. it for himself at the end. I, I do. I know, you know, it, it does. it's not the, oh, let's just give it to the best player on the best team thing. That's not what happened here. Like, th- this guy's, he's totally deserving. Now, I did wait, not vote. I did not now vote Now, tell us who you voted wait, for. Just tell us your ballot now. Isn't that exactly what happened, though? They gave it to the best player on the best team? No. No, he's not the best player on the best team. Okay. <laughs> but that's... Right. <laughs> that's my personal opinion and that is uh-huh. that's how i voted i gave if there was more wwe stuff on the ceremony i will recant everything okay. and watch every year if if we get more sort of promo cutting on each other like so jim harbaugh and ryan day shooting yeah each other. oh i'm in on that for sure which is the worst phrase in the history of sports, by the way. I think that I think part of the reason I did just completely revulse from the whole process was I the whatever the last time it was I watched a ceremony. It did feel, and I don't want to defend what happened because I kind of think like I do agree with Braden. It's sort of, I guess, hammy. It's just sort of like yes, it, it doesn't it, yes. fit. But at the same time, the ceremony it was and is very, very, very stale and sort of stuffy and. It does feel weird in that it doesn't fit with any other aspect of the season. So it's, it's, it's that's something little, I've always noticed. It's a, it does feel a little out of place sometimes, especially considering now they have to go on a tour and, and yeah. they have to go play games that actually matter. Um, so I will say this. A lot of people don't know this. If you do care about the Heisman, it comes at the end of a week that is very stuffy all around college football in New York City, and none of it's televised. I was always curious why like ESPN didn't make a bigger deal of this. There's the National Football Foundation Awards Dinner. It's a black tie affair. It used to be at the Waldorf Astoria. 
um, in New York City. So there's a lot of these events all week where like all the mega agents and the big coaches are there. And then the Heisman feels like the natural end of that because that's those are the events. None of this makes television. I've always been kind of curious yeah. since ESPN wants to cover everything. Maybe cover one of those events or turn it into something. I mean, for God's sakes, we turn cameras on media days. Like there's gotta well... be a reason. Now I'm curious. I'll figure it out. I there's definitely a reason well, they don't. This year at post COVID, they moved some of the events to Las Vegas. And so it was yeah. actually a lot of people in the industry, a lot of reporters who who, who like do both. I stayed home this year, but you kind of had to pick if you were gonna do Heisman Army Navy and then the the awards and the conventions and the ceremony stuff during the week. And so huh. I, it's never been like that as long as I've been doing it. Interesting. Do you, do you guys care at all who I voted for? Probably. Yeah, I for. asked you. Um, you just don't Bryce, listen to me. Oh, Bryce Young was number three. I listened to you very well. Mm. Uh, I had. I, I'd like to think that our show talked about Aiden Hutchinson before everybody else in the world being on Heisman ballots um, for an SEC show. I guess yeah. for an SEC show for sure. Uh, I had Aiden. <laughs> I had Aiden Hutchinson number two, and I had Will Anderson number one. That was my ballot. Can you say that one more time? Because you know that thing where you like see people's mouths moving, but you aren't listening. That's what I just did. Can you say it one more time? (laughs) You just told him that he doesn't listen to you. Holy. And then you just admitted. I understand the irony of it, Godfrey. I get that. And I I do. But that's where we that's where we lie. That's where we are. Number one, (laughs) Will Anderson Jr. Writing it all down. Alabama. So you voted for a guy, number one, that wasn't even there? Uh, uh, by the way, I also don't know why he wasn't there because he and CJ Stroud basically had the same vote total and it's la- the cutoff line on who goes so as a final. Why is this a smart award? Is largely based on the cutoff total, which should have been after. Will Anderson should have actually been there. So he should have been a finalist yes. in my opinion. They cut it but at the gap? They, they suppose, they're supposed to cut it at the gap so that there's nobody there that doesn't feel like they have a chance, right? Which, which, is, which is fine. But then it would have been three. They should have had three guys there, really just the one. But allowing cj stroud to be there to me makes no sense because will also, anderson was was basically why the same. Don't you just let five of them go who cares i i, I get it um that's just mean okay sorry keep going. 30 31 first place votes for will anderson he's the best college football player on the planet that that's that's my opinion <laughs> that's i watched every team in the country and i thought he was the most impactful most dynamic most impressive most productive most talented best football player that i saw that's it like I, I, you, you, Aiden Hutchinson was bigger in bigger moments. Bryce Young plays quarterback. Like, I get it, all this other stuff, but like, there wasn't a better football player than Will Anderson that I saw the entire season on any team. And that includes Jordan Davis, who I also considered, Nicobe Dean. Um, I had three defensive players in my top five. Um, and that was it. So, there you have it. I feel enlightened now that I know this. And amongst you talking about that, I have an idea. All right. I think on the show next week or in the next couple of weeks, we should do our own senior. Well, they don't have to be senior, but college football superlatives, including like you did in high school. So best overall, we could go best dressed. We could go funniest. We could go most irreverent. We could make up our own categories. We could give other people the attention they deserve since they didn't get to go to the Heisman ceremony. Steven. These are these these are your you guys people. hate this idea. These clearly, are your people. These are fine. your people you're talking about, Stephen. These are the people you want to give give love to. You you want to make sure that uh, we could give superlatives. They'll be funnier and you cooler. Wanna make, you want to make sure Hendon Hooker gets enough love for being as good as he was. I mean, I could definitely take the all the non Heisman awards, which I know they already do this. They have like the Home Depot award show. I could I could g- give me give me that event, and we'll roll it in with. 
Aaron's idea. If this I'll, gets I'll big enough, we could do our own time. award show. Maybe people will want to come dress out. We like did it at Gala, Vox. but for sports. Yeah, you we guys did. gave away. You guys gave away uh, the Pisman. Uh, the Pisman, yeah. Real trophy, real invitation. We flew three nominees every year to New York. We did the whole deal. It was awesome, and we had a ceremony and everything. It was, was it really the cool. best? Was it the best large player in? In no, it was it was the best. You it was a touchdown scored by alignment is basically right. was the actual definition. Yep. You know, we stayed away from the word fat and Sorry. Sorry. um we stayed away from all those words, but um yeah, it was it was a blast too. Every year. A, yeah, that's awesome. We can make a word in each, each of our honor. Like Godfrey's could be lowest GPA, but best at poetry. <laughs> Mine could be the funniest, obviously. And then Braden, uh, I'm a, I would like to apologize to our audience for this entire episode. <laughs> I'm not apologizing for shit. Yeah, I think it's fun. Uh, quarterback news in the SEC since uh, we've already moved along here. Um, <laughs> uh, Hooker has announced he's coming back. I'm not sure where he was going. Um, I think his numbers are vastly under underrated uh, across the conference. Matt Corral announces he's headed to the NFL. No surprise there, of course. Uh, Zach Calzada will transfer. The guy who beat Alabama uh, will transfer from Texas A&M. Bo Nix is transferring from Auburn in a very weird, creepy uh, Instagram video, whatever he posted. It was just I odd. did not see that video. It was just it was just odd. Like, it's not a knock on Bo Nix. It was just an odd, uh, like, visual layout there with, like, a total pitch black, black background. That's um, his initial way to say that? He was I leaving? Mean, he was not, he would, he, he didn't say anything wrong. He just came out and said, Hey, I've decided blah, 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 blah. Like every kid does. It was just a weird, it was just a weird looking video. Um, okay. I, I think the question is after Bryce young, who's the best quarterback in the conference next year. And there's a lot of really good players that have a case for that. And uh, some big news there at the quarterback with, with all the quarterbacks deciding all these things over the next couple of days, we'll get to Auburn and what it means, but just any, any thoughts? Cause I think Hendon hooker is vastly underrated. Uh, that's one of my initial thoughts from seeing the, the quarterback news this week. I think we are far from knowing what the quarterback picture looks like in this conference. And I think this is, we're, we're getting a kind of a glimpse of the norm. This is going to be what it's like for now on from now on. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not passing a judgment on that one way or the other, but I do think we have a very incomplete picture and as Braden, you know, this, working in the preseason magazine industry. Like I'm laughing out loud before I finish the sentence. I think I have to start doing that work and like it's December 14th. I'm just gonna do this live on it. Yeah. I have to start doing this in nine weeks for the 2022 season in nine weeks. We have to start calling up. Like what I do specifically is like call coaches and say, Hey, what do you think of these rival teams? These rosters are going to be so incredibly fluid even at the quarterback position, even going into summer and fall camp. And I think we might see seasons or sort of like, like spikes in the calendar of where certain position groups are transferring. Maybe. Ooh, that's interesting. It, it Maybe I mean, we're, we're all learning how to do this for the first time right now. Yeah. If, had we had this conversation last week, Bo Nix would have been the starting quarterback at Auburn that we would have said probably is among the better players in the conference returning next yes. season. And South Carolina has a giant hole on its roster at quarterback. That's what we would have said right. last week on the show. Yes. A little now, different. Now, Bo Nix has left Auburn. And Spencer Rattler, the one of the preseason Heisman Trophy favorites, is now your starting quarterback at South Carolina. I mean, And Tom, Tom Luganville is going to talk about this a little bit more later on. But, like, th this is – I think you're right to say get used to the fluidity and the new norm. Yeah. I do think there will be a 
it will it'll go so far it'll come back a little bit but there will be a new norm if that makes sense yeah and the problem is i i agree with what you said in terms of a progression chart like it, it will it will get crazy it will take a step back and we'll kind of figure out where the median is the problem is we don't know what that actually like what how many quarterbacks are we talking about and let's just look at the power five schools are we looking at 30 to 40 percent of all starting quarterbacks there, doing this are we looking at you know there are 18 quarterbacks i believe in the transfer portal that started last year in, in division one, I think like 13 of them are power five. So you're talking about right. A fifth of the power five roughly. Right. Yeah. We also still don't have transfer stuff completely ironed out. I mean, they're still looking at a universal standard and then reinstating from what I've been told they're, they're, there's going to be the universal one-time transfer. And then the graduate transfer will basically go away or it'll all sort of be put together and you can still have a hardship transfer, but they will be actually, I mean, this is all just conjecture and rumor. The I, I'm sure you guys have seen this before where it's like, oh, so-and-so's grandmother is sick, so he's transferring closer to home to play at this school. That That's going to be scrutinized, I think, a little bit more in the coming years because you do get the one-time, hey, you can transfer wherever you want to move. So is this going to kill the backup quarterback? Is this going to kill competition? I'm sure we're going to see all of those awesome 65-year-old legacy media dudes ringing there, you know, just complaining yep. all yep. off-season long. And then I think we'll play ball next year. And, you know, I, I think I think it's going to be really hard to draw uh, conclusions early, like until you get to the pretty much a month out of the season. Aaron, do you know who the first ever this is a random factoid here? Do you know who the first ever graduate transfer football player ever was? The guy who invented the rule, essentially. Can you give me like a decade? I'm trying to think of this too. Um, oh, I, I got you both. Okay, well, I think it's only. Oh, you been thought a, you were it's, only going to trick Godfrey? I'm smarter. Remember? That's true. You did go. You got. Yeah, uh, he's been doing actual, it longer. I, got, I would never challenge Godfrey on his football knowledge. But, but you did receive actual grades, so that's a positive for you. Um, <laughs> well, I received from, the grades. They yeah, he got the grades. Yeah, I got a lot of F's. grade delivery. This person. <laughs> this person. I think this person might have transferred to Vanderbilt while you were there. <laughs> Wait, well, who was there? I was there. No, well, Aaron was there. Oh, I've got it one. Wasn't Jay Rod because he was. I don't grad. think so. Jordan this guy went for two this, years. This guy went from Arizona to Vanderbilt. What year? He was a quarterback. Okay. Old Richard Kovalchuk. Dick Kovalchuk was the first. And what year was this? Definitely was not there when I was there. I don't know how old you think I am, but this was like 2012, Aaron. 2011. I could beat that, dude. No, it was not. He was the first graduate. He was the first graduate transfer. No, he wasn't. Jeremiah Masoli. That's after. No, it's not. Okay, it then, it, then it was not when Aaron was there. Then Jeremiah that, Masoli. That is- also, was a- in case you guys were wondering, it's almost spring in the Congo. <laughs> That's close. We'll get there. We'll work on it. I, I when I mentioned gonna, that I started, he was not there when weeks. I was there, Braden. We'll look it up. No, there. no, no. I, he's he. Yeah. If if if, if Jeremiah Masoli was what like oh oh nine to something like that. Uh, I believe he played in the 2010 season. The, you're you're right. Then it was then it was not when Aaron was there. I, I was just guessing at that though. I when he was, was nicknamed, when he was nicknamed Jeremiah Mastoli for apparently <laughs> burglarizing something. I don't remember. Oh, now I've got to look up Richard Kovalchuk to find out when what year this was. Kovalchuk. In August like 31st, player. 2010, the NCAA denied Masoli's waiver for immediate eligibility in a press release, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, this was a big deal, and they really, really whined about it. Oh, Although that Jeremiah Masoli and I are almost birthday it's because, twins. It's because, he did not, it's because he was not um, 
qualified to do it, like or something like that. It was like he went to JUCO or something like hey, that. Hey, man, he just wanted to get a graduate degree in Parks and Rec from Ole Miss after going to Oregon, that natural trajectory of yeah. one's career. Right, of course. Uh, after punching a guy on Thursday night football um, in, mm-hmm. in Boise. Uh, you're right, Aaron. I apologize. Soli didn't punch him. That was like Eric Blunt. God, music to my ears. Um, What'd you say? It, it was it was it was a few years earlier than you. So I again I was I was not doing that on purpose. I just didn't remember the, the years. It was 2006. So oh, Richard, okay, Richard, well, there you go. Richard Kovalchuk transferred from Arizona to Vanderbilt from 05 to 06. And if you want to like win a bar just bet, took the piece out. If now you want besmirching the lady's age, if you that's not my intent, you losers. Um, that was not my intent to do that. I apologize, Aaron. Anyway, no, I thought that would be a fun. It's honestly, fine. That would be a fun trivia bar bar question. You know, bet to to win. Um, at some <laughs> Did point, you just say a sentence. Old Dick Kovalchuk transferring. That's a really bad name. Um, also, I cannot believe this has already almost been an hour. I know. Also, <laughs> LSU. To your question, Stephen, about how many teams and how many quarterbacks and transferring. LSU is leading the nation in number of quarterbacks in the transfer portal. <sighs> People want consistency, honestly, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little ADD here, but I will say to Auburn, I or to Bo Nix credit, I don't. I think it would be very very difficult to uh, be malleable enough to even be somewhat kind of successful under the amount of different coaches that he had. I think Auburn, although this is not an ideal season for them, was probably lucky to even have him this long because I think this season could have been an absolute, even like a, a real shit show without it. You got to give him credit. No, I, I totally agree. I think I, I don't know how you go, especially quarterbacks. Certain positions are like very dependent upon the coaching staff that brings them in. And I would say quarterbacks schematically have to fit a system. I'm impressed that he was able to do what he did under that many different st- staffs. Well, that's a perfect segue, Aaron, because I want to ask Steve, I want Steven, I want you to, I want to dive a little bit deeper into what we think is actually happening at Auburn because now he's now Bo Nix is left tank Bigsby announced he was going to leave and looked like he was going to go to Georgia. And then like hours later decided to stay at Auburn uh, for mm-hmm. whatever reason, um, let your mind wander on that one. And then of course he's fired multiple coaches on the offensive coaching staff already. We've talked a lot about the, the tensions between the coaching staff, Boise state versus sec mm-hmm. and, and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, boosters are a huge role in all of this, both mm-hmm. in the arm and writing the checks, the paychecks. So mm-hmm. There, there's just all this stuff going on with Auburn. So I'm going to ask you about that in a second, um, Stephen. I will say this about Bo Nix, though. He is one, like, I hope he goes to Ole Miss because nothing, or LSU, someplace that plays Auburn in the division. Oh, okay. Sure, because sure. the only thing that would make his career more interesting is, is that final chapter. Right. And this is a guy who's a legacy player with a legacy last name who throws an overtime touchdown in his first career start as an Auburn Tiger, doesn't really progress, has to play through a worldwide pandemic, a coaching change, and then comes out playing his best football in 2021 under Brian Harson. Yes. And, and now decides to leave. It is one of the most interesting careers. And I'm, I guarantee you, this dude has taken a ton of shit from Auburn fans. 100%. I mean, yeah, cause he said that he was like, I I've done everything I can do for Auburn. I've got to do something for me, which I think is the most fair statement he could have possibly made leaving despite his weird Instagram video that I just glanced at. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, if I am if I am Bo Nix right now, this might sound weird, but I think I'm going to Ole Miss. Why? I was about to say that I don't think Ole Miss or LSU feel like 
good landing spots for him. Well, because... I was deciding between the two. Oh. Because Brady well, it... threw those two out. I, I, you, you would assume one of the major reasons he's leaving has to do with Auburn's competitiveness, right? Uh, uh, do you? Or consistency. Spencer Rattler right. went to South Carolina. I think that was an important storm in a personal relationship that he had with Beamer, who was an assistant sure. coach. Sure, I'm just saying, like, that, that's I what I'm getting know. at. That's what I'm getting at. Is it not a personal relationship related? That's my question about Auburn. Yeah, I, I'm just, if I'm Bo Nix, I'm going to go somewhere that has a better chance of winning double-digit games in 2022. And right now we have no idea what LSU is. And Ole Miss is losing so much, you know, in a roster that doesn't normally withstand yeah. those transitions too well. And This is true. Yeah. Now, I, also, I'm a little curious what he and his feet would look like in a Lane Kiffin offense. Um, maybe I'm kind of talking myself into LSU as I answer this question, only because I think I know what they're going to run, and it's going to be a little bit more stationary. You would assume that that roster is better. I mean, Ed's problem was never recruiting. Right. Um, and so, hey. yeah, I don't know. From a soap opera perspective, I think, yeah, I mean, him going to Ole Miss would be great. He beat Ole Miss, and he was only one of two teams who did that this year. So, yeah, I just, I don't know. He, he may be on a worse team losing to Auburn next year. So, oh. I'm sure that I'm sure the message boards would love that. That that's that's think, all I'm doing is rooting, like rooting for me. <laughs> yeah, and th- well, think, and this is a little bit of a more emotional approach, but thinking through trying to do everything you possibly could to keep Auburn afloat amongst a very tumultuous coaching change period, a pandemic like Braden mentioned and everything else. He probably just wants some love also, which Ole Miss is more likely to dish up than LSU. I know he also wants to win, but if you lose anything at LSU, you know, you're they're throwing alligators at your head and shit. I mean, why not go to, so why not go to like to me, this is yeah, like where Oregon. else can we talk go, about go to, where else? some Pac 12, some Oregon. good Pac. Yeah, yes. I was about to say some good Pac 12 school. Like, I, I I don't know ASU's situation off the top of my head, but like Jaden Daniels is back, so that would yeah, be more of a good right. line to no, see. Go to Oregon, yeah, Oregon. Anthony Brown, where was you the will be loved, and and it's very chill, it's very relaxing, lots of micro brews and. Legal very weed, curious, very curious what that offensive philosophy is going to look like under a young DC though for Knicks. That would be, yeah. I would be asking a lot of questions up front, which is the reason I brought it up is because now Dan Lanning is the head coach at Oregon, the former defensive coordinator for the Georgia Bulldogs. We're going to get to a lot of these coaches. Texas A&M is losing their superstar defensive coordinator to Wake Forest as, or to uh, Duke as well. Mike Elko has left. Um, we're seeing a lot of coordinators move, which is also interesting about the carousel, Stephen, because the carousel could have been crazier, but Oklahoma, Oregon, Notre Dame all hired coordinators. So did um, so so did Virginia and Duke and a lot of these programs, which is very interesting mm-hmm. to me. Before we get into the sort of the latest coaching news and are we done with the carousel and where the dominoes coming from, I, I do want to know, do you guys believe there's anything more there there with Auburn as it pertains to tank Bigsby as well as Bo Nix is this a offensive scheme is this personality clash is it just Bo Nix has put up with a whole lot of crap in three years and it's time for him to go why incomplete I would just say incomplete right now I get where you're headed on this but I and I and I think maybe somewhere in that list that you just gave one or maybe even two or three of those things are the answer I just I know for what I do that I don't have enough information yet um something's up and sometimes just saying that is worthwhile. Um, that that's what I'm getting at. 
Yeah, and then this is going to be a very, very, very heavily monitored offseason at Auburn because this again, this guy is not this guy does not have consensus anything. This guy does not have the backing of the fan base or the boosters. And so yeah, I'm gonna be very, very curious. I, I he also just doesn't have he can't reach his potential there, which I think at this point he's been a team player this long. You know, you need the kind of system around you that can highlight if he's thinking on the next level, you need the kind of system around you, you know, your O-line and, and everybody else to actually show off what you can do um to potentially have be able to keep playing. So yes. It just you, you don't get put you don't get COVID in the preseason, then have fire a wide receivers coach midway through quietly without anyone really noticing, fire your offensive coordinator. There was already a controversial sort of booster-driven decision in the first place with all these booster divides and now have your two superstar backfield offensive weapons decide on the same day to leave your program. I don't Whether they got Tank Bigsby back or otherwise. Oh, by the way, the no one's been a bigger fan of lawsuits than, than Brian Harson <laughs> because the, the lawsuit that's uh, challenging the vaccine mandate, stay, a stay of execution for the state of Alabama. Um, I just don't, it's hard for me to put all that onto a table, read it all and not think something else is going on. So yeah, I definitely I think, think there's something. Like, yeah. We just don't know exactly yeah. okay. how to frame it yet. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how they all fit together. I just know that regardless of the other puzzle pieces, if I would be doing the exact same shit, if I was Bo Nix, I don't know how everything else fits together. I, I tend to agree with that as well. Uh, Steven, real quickly, Georgia has a defensive coordinator opening. Texas A&M has a defensive coordinator opening. We've seen, you know, Jeff Levy leaves Ole Miss to go coach with Brent Venables at Oklahoma. Um, are, are we seeing the end of the, of, is the carousel quieting down right now? Uh, and who are your biggest of those teams and of those departures? Who are we most concerned about? Well, I don't think Georgia had technically has the opening anymore, right? I guess that's true. Coach Boom back. I made that joke as soon as the landing news broke and everyone thought I was being mean and trolling Georgia. And then I said, wait, and he's back. <laughs> um, no longer drinking beer in the facility. Is that what you're saying? Um, oh, hey, I never said anything about it. I mean, I don't see how one would preclude, preclude the other, preclude the other. Um, I think that uh, things are going to be, I, I'm not going to try, I don't want to sound this ominous, but. Um, I think things are calm for now. And what I mean by that specifically is I do think the NFL is going to affect the college cycle and structure in some way. Don't know what yet. Um, you know, my standard boilerplate is like, look, it's, it's, I think the average now is 6.25 jobs. It's pretty crazy it's a, that it's above six jobs a year that open in the league. And we've seen not every season, but we've now seen more frequency in recent seasons of coaches that are, uh, coming directly from the college ranks, which is which is newsworthy because for a while there, there were, they, they, that was not happening. There was a huge separation between what a college coach was and what an NFL coach was, and there was a bias against our college coaches in the in the pro leagues. All that has fallen down completely. What I find interesting is is like Matt Rule was not the first name on the list. Cliff Kingsbury was not the first name. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury was fired. He was not hired away. He was fired first from a 500 big 12 team. And now he has one of the best uh, franchises in the NFL. I, I find it hard to believe that the NFL is not going to try and mine the success of Kingsbury specifically and find an offensive minded collegiate coach that can run something similar. I mean, this is the, this is the imitation league more so that I think than any other professional sports league, the NFL is going to copycat as much as possible. So who is that? Who are we talking about here? Pick me. Yes, Braden. 
Go. Uh, Ryan Day. You never raised your hand to speak yes. before. R- Ryan Day for Justin Fields in Chicago. Sure. Um, Lane Kiffin. Yes. Um, somebody in place of Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. Got to, right? I, 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 I see Jacksonville. Uh, uh, this is just a gentle pushback because I am a college football reporter and I don't claim to have insight on the NFL. But I would find it hard to believe that they would go college twice, um, especially with what college has given them with Meyer. Um, I do think that so unpredictable that situation. Talk Mm. about people that don't care after they lose. (laughs) Right. Oh my God. Um, What's the the, problem with your team? Why are they losing leaks? It's leaks people. um, (laughs) The Ryan day thing just won't go away. So now we're talking like we're talking about this all casually, but like that's that's a top three job in college football. Like, yeah, it's big time. It's hard to say there's a better job in college football than that one. So um, if that happens, then obviously you're going to see another you're going to see another sea change. I mean, if I if you I don't know if you want me to play that out, but let's just say Ryan Day went to the Bears. I think the first phone call is to Luke Fickle. Right. And then Cincinnati's open. The prohibitive favorite for Cincinnati was always going to be Marcus Freeman, who is now the head coach at Notre Dame. So you would have a highly sought after, highly sought after Cincinnati job that would not necessarily pull a sitting SEC head coach away, but it would cause another cascade right. from from what we've seen. Um, oh, also, oh, I'm going to tease one. There's a bowl team that's probably going to have a coach retire soon, not in the SEC. Like uh, at will, the end will of they bowl. Be, will they be playing the Kentucky Wildcats in that bowl game? Oh, interesting. Huh. Swerve, swerve. Interesting. So not someone who's been coaching for 21 years. I At this point, Kirk Ferentz retiring. I have several in-jokes with agents. Kirk Ferentz retiring is as funny as when agents call me and say, Troy Calhoun's interested in the job or <laughs> uh, Stockstill's retiring at Middle Tennessee. Those are my two favorite jokes because yeah. I hear that every single year. I wish said, I knew the answer to this. I know. You said Power 5, Coach? No, I just said Coach in a Bowl. Yeah, he just said oh, coach and that's, bowl. that's like all of them. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> okay, fine. I'm not going to tell you on the air. So 80, 82 out of 130. You don't get um, to do anything fun. Yeah, I know. Okay. Um, just as a what thought. What do we talk I, about still? Signing I, I, day? Just, well, we were going to talk about signing day, but Tom Luganville is going to do that for us. Wait, day. no. This is like my thing. I know. Pay attention. Okay, I'll give you some time for it then, Aaron. I want, I want to make sure you have some time for it. Um, I was going to ask one more question about coordinators because Kirby Smart was a first-time coordinator, was very good at Georgia, is very good at Georgia. We're now seeing coordinators get jobs. Sam Pittman was a first-time head coach at Arkansas, did pretty well. I'm just curious if, if there's – do you guys see any actual scientific threads through all of this or is it just yes. like – Okay, well, go ahead. I think the football guy is back, and I think the media darling is taking a back seat. So I think the Tom Hermans and uh, – Jeff Collins is and those, those media darlings, I think they're, they've, they've taken it pretty hard the last couple of years. They were the, the in vogue hire, uh, maybe the previous decade. I don't, I don't know where to draw the line. I'll have to do a little bit more homework, but now I think the we've talked about this before the Pittman effect. I think, I think you're seeing the Pittman effect in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Now it's hard to say about Sam Pittman when you're talking about a 35 year old defensive coordinator, that's just, I think hiring the hot hand. Um, I will say this credit to Oregon for doing that because I don't know what's true and what's not. I tend to believe everything that, um, that, Oh my God, I just blanked on his name. It's terrible. Um, Bay area news guy. He's so good. Um, he's the one Got reporter it. for the PAC 12. 
What are you talking? Oh, uh, I didn't understand anything you just said. Bay Area reporter for the Pac-12? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he, he works Not Kawakami the, um, or whatever, right? No, John Wilner. Gosh, sorry. That's terrible. John Wilner is probably the best Pac-12 reporter in the country. And he's got this report that Justin Wilcox was considering the job, maybe not doing it, whatever. And he's from Oregon. I really liked that Oregon went all the way to Georgia to find a coach because what that says to me is I don't know what is true or not about the Wilcox thing is let's get the best available coach. They've been burned twice by two people going back home to Florida. And there's this perception now that Oregon can't keep a coach because they're so far away. I really like that. I thought that was pretty... um, I thought that was a pretty bold move on Rob Mullins's part. Um, also, did y'all see the whole thing where every time Oregon wanted to talk to a coach in the Pac-12, they requested permission? Oh, that's not very SEC of them. Holy smokes, man. Sometimes there are sometimes with that league and this league where I'm just like, oh, shit, are we playing the same sport? They're not. It They're is not. like a murder fest. I mean, could you, ima- could you imagine? Yeah. Talk about, uh, talk, talk about young coordinators. Also, John Summerall left Kentucky to go be the head coach at Troy, which is fascinating. So and he a- was the runner up. Here's I've never encountered this before. He was the runner up when they hired Chip Lindsay and they went back to him and basically said, we fucked up. <laughs> we should have hired you. And he did it. And he did it. I think if Mark awesome. Stoops had gotten a job, had, had actually gotten a Florida or an LSU, which like, you know, his name was attached to all these kind of bigger jobs. I think Summerall might have stayed on if he'd get a co-DC title because you just saw what happened with Dan Lanning, right? Like, I mean, that's right, right. You're on a faster trajectory. Um, if you are an SEC fan, you don't know his name. John Summerall will be a head coach in the SEC yes, yes. in short order. There's a reason I mentioned a Troy head coach on the SEC podcast. Yes. Um, all right, Aaron, I want to talk Cruton with you. We're going to let Steven go. Uh, Steven, always a pleasure. Steven, you have a hard stop today. You seem so chill. I do have a hard stop today, and I'm working in a borrowed <laughs> borrowed workspace too. But um, you yes. always do this at, at 38 Godfrey. Thanks, Steve. Love y'all. Bye. Fringe Element, Aaron Dugan, is brought to you by. You just told me you're going to set me up for this ad. Yeah, but the intro to the ad is still is the jasper. entire ad. I asked to have a second to reset. I just did the ending ad and I will exploit you on this podcast. Let's start over. And can you actually give me a second? Yeah. I, 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 all I needed you to say was Jasper's like one, one word would have been good enough. <laughs> I wasn't expecting you, you never to do let whole... me just say one word. No, I know. I wasn't trying to get you to do a whole thing there. I was just going to let you do the, the intro and then I was going to take it and take it and run. That's all. That's I'm not going to lie to you. That was extremely unclear. And also, okay. All right. Is this our first fight? No, we've had many fights. <laughs> <laughs> Can this be the ad? Because it kind of works. Oh, you want it to be the ad? It kind um, of is working. Jaspers, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Jaspers, are you are we fighting? Are we back in the ad now? <laughs> are we are we in the ad? Are we doing this? Is this actually happening or are we gonna is the verb the ad? is the verb version of the noun ad adding? I think are we adding? Like, no, I think it's. You don't even understand him. No, I so th- how could you possibly tell me the answer? No, it's like I think it's like deer, where like it's plural and singular at the same time. I think it is like ad. You're doing an ad, but you're also advertising, like Jasper's, a wonderful product like Jasper's. So we're, we're doing an advertisement, and you're advertising. So I guess I guess it does change when you conjugate it differently. I suppose. 
Yeah. We, we definitely can't use this now. We for <laughs> sure can use this. <laughs> and you know we what I shall. Could use? You know what I could use? A freaking drink. That's what I could use. I know. National Signing Day talk always makes me want to drink. And this is organic oh. because everyone that I did talk to about National Signing Day, yes, we're still in the ad. Said, and yes, you'll know what she's talking about later on in the show. <laughs> Oh, God. When you make me do things out of order, it's confusing. Well, a, dyx- a dyslexic person would never survive the show. A what? Dyslexic. Okay. I even missaid the word dyslexic. It's okay. Yep, yep. So go, go to Jasper's, everybody. <laughs> are we starting over? Are we using this? No, I think, I think, I, I think we're, in it. we're in it now. <laughs> Conan O'Brien like, says whatever he wants on his ads. And I know that we're not that famous, but... I'll- also, when has anyone ever heard one of our ads and wondered, hmm, I wonder if they say what they think? <laughs> I think I think I we've cleared like... I think we've cleared that hurdle. Uh, that people know that these are unscripted. Yeah, there's never been anything less scripted than these ads. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Really. There are um, there, there are gonna be 18-year-old kids on Wednesday sitting down all across this country not knowing which hat they're gonna pick, and that is more scripted than what we're doing right now. Six thousand percent, yes. yes. That's a lot of percent. Um, all right. Well, there's I guess we should tell them what's at Jasper's. Should we do that? Yeah. You want to go first or me? There's, there's food. That's now, now, now you go. <laughs> um Jasper's is full of friendly faces and delicious cuisine. Uh they have wonderful happy hours and drink specials with classic cocktails and the next evolution of the cocktail, which is they delicious. still don't have a co- like a cocktail named after our show, but we're getting there i actually don't know because i don't feel like braden really putting in any legwork on this going back to that going back to that one huh going back yeah but if you if you love the preds there is a a gold standard drink there we go named after braden's predator show which adam adam vinga does not deserve a shout out on this show but i'm going to give it to him anyway because i'm literally a class a person Hmm. um that Class, class a something class a something that the gold standard has a drink named after them it's I'm not gonna lie, I haven't tried it because I'm it's very good. It's very good. It's very <laughs> light and refreshing. You know, it's good at the end of a long national signing day. Um yeah. rivals used to like just throw like giant tubs of like biscuits at us because we were all like 25 and could eat all those things and still work like 14 hour days. Um God. they would just like cater to keep us in our chairs for like as long as many hours in a row as possible. And we did the morning if you're show. Do it, carbs is the answer. And we did the morning show, so we were up. We were in the office, like you, like you. You'll you'll tell us in a little while, <laughs> um, at like four thirty in the morning. So it was, uh, oh, man, it was. Those were long days, dude. Those were long, 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 long days. I do not, I do not miss doing seven or eight hours of radio on a national signing day. Don't miss that. Or sudden sleep. No, don't miss it. Um, you know who else doesn't sleep? Jaspers. They just are constantly evolving. Constantly coming up with they new are. menu items, constantly coming up with great drink specials and better ways to watch games and eat food and, you know, and park your car for free. So they are the Nick Saban of the restaurant industry, constantly evolving. Jaspers. <laughs> All right. Uh, Aaron, let's talk a little crouton here. Tom Luganville is going to give us some like specifics about I can't actual- believe you almost just cut out my section of the show. I was so here's the problem. A real class A asshole. No, it's actually you and Steven's fault. Now it's my fault for choosing uh, to have you two on the show together. 
but you two cannot follow. You two cannot follow a rundown to save your lives. And in fact, pride yourselves on screwing up my rundown. I have never prided myself on that. I do pride myself on some things that have to do with your demise, but that is not one of them. You two enjoy running the the show off the rails, and I I I enjoy it too. Today I did do that. It means sometimes we lose time to have all of the conversations we want to have because you two have driven the show into the ditch. I do feel like this show is fun though. So I think people are still listening and we'll find out if you're still listening and you know, one of us, please text us or tweet at us. So we know that you are still listening at this point. Listen, the numbers are fantastic. We're growing like crazy Aaron. Let's not fool ourselves. People are clearly listening, but I, I, what's I, I, I'm the one who chose the two of you knuckleheads to be on the show with me. Like you guys said, yes, I asked you. (laughs) Yeah. You first, but like, I'm, we all decided to put this group together and we should have known that there were going to be too many words. I know, but it's been so, so interesting. Do you know is, what I mean? I agree. Yes, I totally agree. I totally agree. But it means it is not my fault that we don't get to talk about, you know, something like, like this, which I do I want to talk about. we are going to talk about it anyway. Which is why we're going to, which is why we're spending time on it. So here Perfect. we are. So I'll give you my quick little spiel about crudy and then you can do yours and then we'll hear from Tom Luganville. Yours better be quick because I'm pretty sure this time is caved out, carved Team, out for me. Team rankings. Team rankings is what matters. Individual rankings. Sometimes they matter. Sometimes a player is transcendent like Tim Tebow, and it matters that he deserves all the hype and the coverage. But most of the time, the team rankings are what you need to know. And here's the only stats you need to know about it. And then I'll cede my time to the floor floor here. And that is, of the 32 teams that have made the playoff, 29 of them have recruited on, on, on average in the top 15. So if if you you say that one more time, I did the blank thing again. What the? I'm just trying to make sure I'm like processing all of it. Say the Uh, the first number again. 32 teams have made the college football playoff. Yeah. Eight eight years, four, four teams per year. 29 of them have ranked on average over the previous five seasons in recruiting in the top 15. So you're according to Athlon. No, according to composite 24 seven. Okay. So, um, basically according to that and that means the internet <laughs> like that yeah that that's list, every yeah it's everything that yeah. list is the internet because they stole that idea for me but that's neither here nor there but so not salty at all <laughs> people don't forget anyway um <laughs> it is listen they they i'm the winkle boss the the winkle boss who are the people that I, invented who are the people that actually invented facebook the winkle boss twins i do not know the answer to this i am the winkle boss twins with the 24 7 composite rankings and 24-7 sports is Mark Zuckerberg. They have better Thank tech. Thank God you don't have a twin, just byproducts. Keep going. Also true. They are, they were smarter and had better tech than me. They stole my idea and put it in place. But I've already said this on the air a million times, so it's not new information. Okay. Anyway. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Top 15 ranking is where you have to be to make the playoff, basically. Um, Cincinnati, of course, is not. Michigan State and Washington were not. Yeah. Of the of the 14 teams that have played in the national championship game during the playoff era, that's seven national title games. So 14 mm-hmm. teams made it. Um, all but three of them recruited top 10 classes. So 14 teams make it to the championship game. All but three have had top 10 average recruiting classes. Mm-hmm. Of the teams that have won the national championship, of the seven national championship winners, all but one was ranked in the top eight. All but two were ranked in the top five. And the only team that wasn't ranked in the top eight was Clemson in 2016 with Deshaun Watson doing crazy, spectacular Deshaun Watson things. Clemson was ranked 12th that year. So here's the gist of it. I'll try to boil this all down quick, quick, more quickly, quickly, quicker. Yeah. 
to get into the playoff, you need to, to get into the playoff. You need to recruit in the top 15 on average to get to the national championship game. You need to recruit in the top 10 on average and to win the national championship. You have to be in the top five on average. That is basically the, the gist and the benchmarks you need to know when you look at team recruiting rankings. So those are very powerful, powerful statistics. Also, can I give you homework? But if you find something really cool out by doing this homework, you have to give me credit if you use it on a different show. Okay. Deal? Can Uh, you go back? It's almost springtime in the Congo, man. I don't know what to say. It's almost, it's not springtime. It's almost spring in the Congo. Sorry. My apologies. Just please get it right. If you're going to do this on a fine bomb and you mess it up, I'm going to be pissed. So can you go back and look at the recruiting rankings for two years prior to teams that were in the playoffs and see if those numbers are slightly higher. You mean like you have a lot of really talented freshmen and sophomores? Because that's a, th- that's a thing when you're recruiting and then you're doing like the recruiting rankings directly to the playoffs. A lot of times those are the youngest kids on the team. So can you go back and no, look at those? I'm doing five years. That's what I'm saying. The app oh, five, you're doing all five okay. Yeah, you're not so just like, that one year. So what the whole roster would look like? Okay. So this is your years, world, not really mine. Yeah, yeah. five years. Okay. So the average. So when I, when I say top fifteen, I mean on average over the five years prior to that team, including everyone. Yes. in it. It does okay. not include. It does not include sixth year players. It does not include transfers, and it doesn't include like super seniors or whatever. But the the point is not to involve those pieces. The point is to just look at recruiting rankings and try to tie in your specific recruiting rankings to the teams that make the playoff play in the championship game and win titles. That way that makes a lot more sense. Okay. Yeah. This is not. again, not my world. I don't live in the recruiting world. That's All right. not my thing, but so now, now here's your signing day, here's signing day. day. I do. All right. What you got? Um, so I, w- I just tried to, I even texted a couple people that I used to work with because I forget what I know that other people don't just because you and I have lived in this world for so long or me inside an athletic facility. I forget what I know that would actually be interesting to people. Cause I, I forget that it's not common knowledge, but in painting a picture and bringing in a couple of different people to this, um, I was going to kind of go through the day starting at about four 40 AM is when most people get into work on national signing day. And obviously this work has gone on long, long before this starting and to pick and to even like give you an idea of how long before this happens, a it's the day after or two days after national signing day, the year prior for all the coaches making calls, trying to get guys through the doors. Obviously that really takes effect in the fall when they can bring the guys on campus and let them and their families come to a game and, you know, stand right behind the cheerleaders and the dance team during the tunnel and all of that. I don't know if that's strategic. I think it is, but (laughs) I could possibly give you that idea. Yeah. It's like, I don't, we don't really have room to dance. Is there a reason there's recruits right behind us? Are you suggesting that 17 year old boys are impressionable? Aaron Dugan. I, I have no evidence to suggest that they're not. (laughs) (laughs) So it starts around 440 and I'm talking like not people trickling in. I'm saying like we're at work at that time. And for all the recruits that you know are going to sign, things are prepared. So, for example, social media has gone through every single tweet that these guys have ever tweeted out. It could be 70,000. It could be 1,000. <laughs> 
if they're guys that you know are coming now, if it's a last minute guy and you don't know, and it's things are bouncing around and puzzle pieces are changing, you, you know, you can't check so, everything. Somebody, somebody you wouldn't have a pre-prepared graphics package for, for example, which <laughs> yes. And be prepared to do all of the, this is my world, but video work, all of the video work in the world only to have guys fall through or new guys added, which is pulling stuff from all of these like video platforms from their high school, trying to put things together very last minute or preparing things weeks in advance. Um, Can I ask you a question? Can I yeah. ask you a question? Like, yeah. so this was around James Franklin, right? When he was the coach, you were there when he was the coach, right? I worked there. I was in school when Mason was there or when Franklin was there. But I you were also around Derek Mason. Under Mason. Okay. So let me ask you this. And I'm not trying to, I'm not getting anybody in trouble here. I'm just curious. Like, would they come to you in the video department and say, all right, these are the eight that we really feel like 100% are going to sign. Here's another eight that we're pretty sure are going to sign. And here's eight we don't know about. Is that basically what they would do for you guys? They would come to you and say, Hey, we definitely need you to work up like a cool little like 45 second video montage for how many, how many players would they tell you before signing day? Oh God. Like, I don't know. I could send a text right now and find out, but a lot. I mean, you're over-preparing because social is such a big part of it, especially now in terms of other guys. So if guys are hinging on, you know, on a decision, I mean, they definitely give you more people than they think they're going to get. No question. It's not like they slow play it. They actually overplay it. It makes sense. Oh yeah. 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 Because, and honestly, it's better for them to do that. It's a lot more work for the video department, but it's better for them to tell us ahead of time. So we're not trying to scramble it, scramble to put something together. That's you know, last minute, but it also, there's such a connection now with guys wanting and naturally. So wanting to go where they're feel like they're going to be most successful and where other guys that they know, or they played with in, in the past, or that are going to, you know, make them look better that they want to go. I, I think um, it's funny. I'm thinking about like, you know, how like the Super Bowl losers, like there's people, there's like countries in Africa that have like to think the bills won four Super Bowls in a row. I wish we could get use out of these videos. I, that's what I'm thinking. Is that where you're like, going? Yeah, like there's got to be like just a storage like shed full of like here's an image of Jalen Hurd going to mm-hmm. like with in Vanderbilt gear like like 100 percent like just all these videos across and it's not a Vanderbilt thing it's like across the entire country it's everything like I th- there's and again I can't I'm trying to think like there's probably and social media wasn't around for like Tim Tebow necessarily it was like barely brand new but if it had been around. Like there's probably some compilation of like Tim Tebow in an Alabama jersey playing for Mike totally. Shula, like running around in Bryant Denny Stadium. And I'll tell you, we I don't love delete to see those servers. We, we don't delete anything because you just never know. So I would venture to say that all of those still I know at Vanderbilt, those all uh, still exist. No question so in my awesome. mind. That would be so wouldn't great. that be hilarious? Uh, if only we could leak that. I want to see like Man, Matt Corral's like I should have done that on my way out. <laughs> I want to see like, like Matt Corral's yeah. Mississippi State hype video. <laughs> Wouldn't that be hilarious? I yes. know, I know. So that I'm trying, I'll, I'll try to be quick, but the other thing, so I have a couple things. So to con- finish painting this picture, and then I'll tell you what you should do on National Signing Day if you're a fan, which I think would be the most efficient thing to actually follow what's going on. Because with that recruits. being, don't, yeah, don't tweet at recruits. But also I will say that, Sadly, there is some stuff that not only you'll you'll never know about National Signing Day in terms of how it went, because there's no way a coach or a coaching staff would ever 
uh, act disappointed when they actually got interviewed or put on the spot. But you can tell in the building if heads are hanging low or not, if you're missing guys or you're getting them all. But the um, so in the war room, they set up this huge war room. No one's at their desks on this day. Everyone's buzzing around, acting crazy. Compliance. It depends on how fun of a compliance um, now I'm forgetting your title, like director of compliance that you have, but Aaron Adkins, who we've actually had on the show before talking about compliance was a blast. She leaned all the way into, um, national signing day. And every time we got a recruit, she would make up a rhyme that had to do with <laughs> their particular, she'd use their position, their hometown. Like I just threw a recruit at her today. Um, and I said, if you got Shaz Preston, um, who's from St. James, Louisiana, and he's a wide receiver, what would you do? So she would write something and she wrote this today. She said, oh. if he was, if, if we got him as a recruit today, she now works at UCLA, but just as an example, is, he's this, one of the top a, is, this a, is this a violation of compliance that she's commenting on an, on an unsigned recruit? No, because they're not even really recruiting him. <laughs> I picked an sec. I picked an sec heights right, guy okay. and gave her that guy. She said, um, come one, come all, this kid can ball. And mind you, she's running around right, right. the athletic facility screaming this to anyone who will listen. Come one, come all, this kid can ball. St. James, Louisiana, this kid calls home. Shaz P catching all over people's dome. And she would just <laughs> run around screaming this rhyme. And which I will not say all compliance directors are that fun, but also nothing can be announced until it goes through compliance so as goofy and funny as she was she nothing can be said on social until it all goes through compliance so they are the end all be all so making sure the the signature is signed on the letter of intent has been submitted and formalized and all that stuff yeah right so all of this new age like announcing the time that you're going to sign just because someone isn't announced immediately when they're supposed to be, it doesn't mean that they're not coming. It just may mean that their compliance paperwork that's, isn't done. That's one of my favorite um, things in the world is when a kid goes on television and announces at like 11 AM that he's going to Florida and like nobody can, nobody can like officially confirm that the letter of intent has arrived yet for like an hour and a half. And Twitter uh-huh. just goes batshit crazy because they're like, Oh my God, is he really coming here? Did he sign his paper? And like, it's really just, it's really just a bureaucracy on the back end. Meanwhile, like fax papers are right. flying into the air. People are trying to grab them out and make sure that it's signed. Someone forgot to put their signature on it, whatever. Yeah. So th- that all being said, I know we're running really long, but if you're watching as a fan, um, I would say that your best bet is to good schools that do a good job of this actually have a web page signing day hub, which which filters in all the information if if they're doing a pretty good job, which includes tweets, video highlight videos of particular kids and um, all of their stats. So if you're trying to follow it, I would do it that way. And then also just, I mean, turn on social alerts for whatever kit for your own team and whatever kids that you are expecting to come. Um, and you will maybe notice a pattern between there's a couple kids who went to the same high school or that know each other from, you know, other walks of life that are one of them drops off, um, maybe be a little more worried about the other one, but, uh, it'll be, it's always interesting now because these, I feel like they do travel in packs a little bit more, um, at this particular point, <laughs> they travel in so. packs. They do kind of. I mean, they're guys like, follow each they're other. Like, they're like it's more so in basketball, games. just because it 
basketball is so much small. It, it's it's more like that in basketball recruiting, yeah, just true. because it's that's so true. small. But well, anyways, um, there's my insight. This is a really long podcast episode. Yeah, it's but, all good though. It's all good though. And you know what? We got more for all you great folks out there. So uh, when we come back, Tom Luganville of ESPN going to join us right here on Fringe Element. Tom, welcome to the show, man. Good to see you. Always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Hey, good to see you too, Braden, man. I appreciate you having me. Merry Christmas as well. Happy yeah. holidays, all of that good stuff. <laughs> Happy signing day, all that great stuff. Uh, before, yeah. before we get into some of the specific team stories that I want, I want to touch on broadly, sort of the, the, the transfer portal is out of control. We got Bo Nix and Zach Calzada and Spencer Rattler. There's like 15 different Power 5 schools with players in the portal. And, and obviously this is an SEC show, but in general, how has – the portal and the super seniors, is it changing the way recruiting is taking place in our sport? Big time. And it's damaging it, to be honest with you. This is an epidemic. It's a problem. Um, we've created this path for free agency. Every, every coach in America now is dealing with a, a 85 to 100 man roster of free agents without knowing who's coming, who's going, when they may come, when they may go. And when it's all said and done, somebody's going to get squeezed out. And the person that's going to get squeezed out is the high school prospect. Because right now, it's harder than ever with the extra year of eligibility and the transfer portal. Generally, coaches kind of know their hard number. They know what they could bring in and count against this class. Uh, maybe they know what they could do with gray shirts or blue shirts. But right now, they don't know. And so whether it's a sitting coaching staff or a new coaching staff that's scrambling right now, it's difficult to throw out committable offers when you actually don't know who may be leaving who may be going? I mean, as of yesterday morning, do you think Jimbo Fisher had any clue that Zach Calzada was going to lead the university after being a starter for half or the majority of the season? And so it hits you like a ton of bricks. And I'll, I'll tell you, I know there's been a lot of discussion, Braden. Do we go back to a single signing period? Do we move back the first one and maybe the third weekend in January and then back up the second one to February? I'll tell you what I would, what I would really do is I would do two things that I think could help this. I would create windows throughout the calendar year where it is permissible to enter the transfer portal. And I would create those windows at times. One would be right after spring football because kids are going to know where they stand. And then one would be right after the season for maybe a two week period. But then I'd make the first month of December, at least the first three weeks, a dead period for everybody so that the coaches can start to figure out who do we have? Who do we not have? All right. Now you've helped out the new coaches and their new coaching staffs who are scrambling and you could get to a more true number by actually knowing who's coming in the door, who's going out the door. I just think we got to try to do something to slow this thing down. We're not changing it. We're not putting the paste back into the tube, but we're, we're, we're at a point now where I don't know how any of these coaching staffs are managing these numbers because they don't know what their hard number is. And it's very difficult to recruit. And again, if you hold four or five scholarships back for the transfer portal in the spring and the summer, that's four to five high school kids that aren't getting a scholarship. Times that by 130 schools. Yeah, and and when when the signing period is 10 or 12 days after the last game of the season, when everyone's firing and hiring coaches, it doesn't help. Right. It doesn't help the players knowing what's going on uh, either. You mentioned Texas A&M, and they they obviously are having an amazing season, have a chance to be the number one class in America. Jimbo Fisher has done this at Florida State and now at Texas A&M. He's recreated it. Can this A&M team or Jimbo Fisher break the Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, SEC ceiling, in your opinion? 
Well, they're going to be close. They certainly have the resources to pull it off. There's no doubt about that. They don't have any hindrances as far as the acquisition of talent or building a roster. He's not handcuffed, he being Jimbo Fisher and their staff, in any way. Um, listen, I think this is a three-horse race for the number one class in the country between Alabama, Georgia, and Texas A&M. In some way, shape, or form, those, think, those will fall at one, two, or three. With Texas A&M, I think having the most to gain when you consider the likes of Harold Perkins, Denver Harris, Shamar Stewart, all of those players are top 25 composite players that all have Texas A&M in their final two or final three. So they have the most ground where they could gain and actually end up with the number one class. And, you know, we, we've gone back and we've kind of studied as it relates to the college football playoff. And we've looked at the four consecutive recruiting classes of all the college football playoff participants. And every single one, except for Michigan State, averaged a top 10 recruiting class in each one of those four cycles. So th there is a correlation between college football playoff affiliation and having a top five or a top 10 class. Now, so if you're Texas A&M, this is definitely a good sign that you are now putting yourself in that position because the history will tell you eventually you're going to break through. The problem is, Braden, and you know this, is the path to get to Atlanta is so difficult. You can't have any slip-ups. And, and you don't know who may you may draw out of the East, um, you know, in, in your cross uh, uh, rival on the other side. And so there's still challenges in front of you. And that's why, you know, everybody's talking about Oklahoma and Texas jumping into the SEC. And, and OK, that's that's great. But you know what? How many times has Texas A&M sniffed Atlanta since 2011? <laughs> One time. Once. Yeah, they, they, they finished fifth in the nation one season. Doesn't matter. Alabama wins the national championship. They beat right. Alabama the next season. Doesn't matter. Alabama's number one in the nation going, <laughs> yeah. going into the playoff. Um, but it is it is interesting because Jimbo has put A&M now on a tier with Georgia and, and Alabama in terms of national yeah. recruiting. The, the question I have following that up is LSU and Florida expect to also be there competing for championships. Your, your thoughts on Brian Kelly's ability at LSU and Billy Napier's ability at Florida to sort of elevate those two programs into that same conversation we just had about the top three. Well, I think as it relates to LSU, to put it bluntly, I think Brian Kelly realized that in today's climate, you cannot win a national championship at, at Notre Dame. You might be able to get there and he's gotten them there. But when you see them in the semifinals and you see the talent discrepancy, he knows there's a ceiling there and there's an opportunity. He's almost 60 years old. If he's going to win a national championship, it's got to be at a place where you virtually have unlimited resources. You have no other power five school in your state to compete with. There are unbelievably uh, talented kids in every nook and cranny of that state. And then you border on Texas and then it's easy to get to everywhere else in the Southeast. And so I just think that his approach, the proof in the pudding of his winning blueprint that has worked everywhere he has been. Now you give him access to elite level players. There's just a lot of things that make sense there. I think it was not only a good hire, but a good move for him personally and professionally. Now with, with Billy Napier, I think it's interesting because I had the Sunbelt championship and we were talking about, you know, finally making the move and he had been considered for some other jobs. that just wasn't the right fit, but he said that the, the reason this time, and I think this is really important is instead of putting your toe in the water, of competing with everybody else, Scott Strickland and the University of Florida are finally jumping into the deep end. They are re they they finally realized that all right, there is still an arms race going on. 
right? You're one of the few power five schools left in America that's considered to be a blue blood or your coaching offices are still in the end zone of your stadium, right? So they're finally building a football operations uh, facility that is going to be totally devoted to football. That's 20 years overdue, right? Uh, they just got an indoor facility just a few years back. That was 20 years overdue. And I think most, most importantly, and this is where Billy Napier is going to uh, have an edge over, let's just say, Jim McElwain and, and anybody that served before him, is the staffing and the budget resources that are going to be afforded to the football operations side of things, I think are going to allow Florida to compete with the Alabamas, Georgias, Clemsons, Ohio States. Because make no mistake about it, it used to be, all right, if you're Miami, Florida, Florida State, you're all competing with each other in that state for the best players. Well, right now, none of those schools should be competing against each other. If you want to win a national championship, you're going to have to beat Georgia in recruiting. You have to beat Alabama, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State. Those other two teams aren't in the mix right now. So I think, you know, with Florida, and you know this as well as anybody, and Billy Napier can throw a rock outside of his window in any direction and hit a great player within 100 miles. So that's a luxury. You add resources to that luxury compiled with, I think, what his work ethic and the blueprint and the strategy is going to be very, very strong, then you might finally have the right recipe to compete uh, on a national level for the college football playoff and, and potentially a national championship. Kentucky, Mark Stoops, long time building this program. There's a reason why he's his class is among the best classes he's ever signed or potentially signing at Kentucky. Yeah. Eli Drinkwitz, we've seen sort of the recruiting momentum since the moment he showed up there in Columbia at Missouri. They, they have a potential to be a top 15 class. South Carolina, Shane Beamer was hired directly to do exactly what he's doing. And that doesn't include Spencer Rattler, of course. What, what, what sure. do you make of those three schools overachieving? Is it real? Is it tangible? Is it stuff that's sustainable? What do you think about those three programs sort of overachieving well, and recruiting? I, I, I think with Kentucky, we've proven that it's sustainable because as the wins have come, the facilities upgrades have come, the resources, the investment on behalf of the university has come, and you've seen patience from the administration to build, then reinvest, build, and then reinvest. And now look at what you have. I don't know if you've been on Lexington's campus, but what they've done in football is unbelievable. Well, when you start to win and people start to care, all of a sudden your greatest revenue producer you can invest in it, and there's a reason to do it. I think Mark Schutz is the best program builder in all of college football right now. I think he's a great developer of talent, and they've built that thing into a, a, a program now where, you know, he's sitting there on the cusp of a top 10 class, and it's real because when you get better and you get good, you're going to get the attention of top-level players that you didn't have access to before. And so I, in that regard, I think he's done as good a job of anybody. With Missouri, the question of sustainability, to me, it happens to be a pretty strong state in the state of Missouri this year. So they're capitalizing on a good year and a good crop, which is, is important. Are you going to have that, though, each and every year? Probably not. You're going to have to go into everybody else's backyard to try and lure talent. But it helps if you play on the road at Georgia. It helps if you play on the road at Florida. Your brand gets expanded into a footprint. Um, and those three little letters carry a lot of weight. I think they're going to finish with a top 10 class for us, Brady. Now, I, I just think Eli Drinkwitz has really done a nice job despite, you know, mixed results on the field uh, so far. But whatever they're doing in recruiting is, is resonating. And then on the flip side, I look at South Carolina and, I, and I'm more impressed with how they were able to hold that thing together. I mean, they could have gotten a guy off the street and almost had to to play quarterback 
um, and, and, and get themselves competitive in a year where a lot of people thought they might be good enough to win three games. So you have the established relationship with Spencer Rattler. You bring him in, you now upgrade the quarterback position. And then from a recruiting standpoint, they've gone out and they've hit the ground running, you know, and it's uh, and they were they were doing it in what, for the most part, was a pandemic condemned recruiting cycle until the month of July last summer rolled around. Until that moment, you you got a new coaching staff that couldn't have any contact face to face with any kids, couldn't go out on the road. Kids couldn't come on campus. And I think that's also what has hurt Tennessee. Because this year for Tennessee in the state is as good a year top to bottom as the state of Tennessee has ever had. And right now, Tennessee only has one verbal commitment. I don't think that's all on Josh Heupel. I think a lot of that is on getting behind because of the pandemic, not being able to get out on the road immediately. Um, What they've inherited in the sense of perception and uncertainty as it relates to the NCAA investigation and not having a uh, an ending in sight yet. So now you got the negative recruiting tactics being used against you. I just think they've overcome to go seven and five and to look at the teams they lost to, Brady. Right? It's unbelievable. They lost to the team that won the ACC, the team that won the SEC, the team that followed runner up in the SEC. I mean, they really accomplished a lot and were, were prolific on offense. So I look at this class for 2022 at Tennessee and on paper, it might look a little bit disappointing when you consider the strength of the in-state kids, but I can also make an argument that in 2023, this class in the state of Tennessee is going to be magnificent. And that is where Tennessee has to rebound because now there's no, there won't be any COVID excuses. You're coming off of a potential bowl win where if you beat Purdue in the bowl game and you're going to go into the off season and be able to have junior days, be able to get on the road, be able to get kids on campus. And, you know, if you have great players in that state, you can't let them go because you don't have enough to build an 85 man roster just in that state. You have to go into everybody's backyard. So to alleviate that challenge, sign the best ones that are at home. Biggest SEC storyline coming out of National Signing Day will be what? To me, I think if Texas A&M signs those three players I mentioned, Denver Harris, Shamar Stewart, and um, Harold Perkins. And if they do that, I don't think there's any question they go to a composite number one overall class. I think that will be the storyline coming out. And to be honest with you, listen, um, That was a disappointing year on the field. I mean, they beat Alabama, but for their roster and the places they want to go, I know their quarterback got hurt and things of that nature, but we all know eight and four is not good enough. And so they need classes like this on consecutive levels to get into that, you know, 10, 11 win marks and and have a chance to go to Atlanta. Do do you miss all the, I know I do. Um, I understand why it's disappeared because it's bad for the brand for everybody, but do you miss all the signing day nonsense? Like, like, it seems like the athlete, the coach, the school, the parent, the, like, now it's, like, the agent probably, too. They all realized, like, that all this ridiculousness on signing day was probably bad for the brand. But, like, I do sort of miss, like, 2008 vibes and energy from National Signing Day. Yeah. I do, too. I mean, listen, I'll be the first one to tell you, you know, we, we invested a ton of resources from a television production standpoint. When you put together for what was almost 12 years of an 11 or 12 hour live show straight through all day long with, you know, 15 coaches across the country, 10 to 12 verbal commitments, um, just the constant, almost like it's uh, election style coverage. And you got all these moving parts and then all of a sudden it just goes away and you've taken away the hoopla, you've taken away the excitement, you know, that to be honest with you, that's a, that's a college football slash recruiting fans Super Bowl. And now 
we've diminished it with the early signing period. And we all know that there's going to be unintended consequences that came with this. But I also think that there were things that came with this that everybody could have seen from a mile away, but just chose to ignore. And now you can't put the, the, the pace back in the tube. And I mean, look, we're, we're doing two hours tomorrow as a show where, you know, so you go from 12 hours on one day to doing two hours in the early signing period and, you know, a couple of hits here and there with Sports Center and some other outlets, but it just, it's not the same as it used to be. So yeah, I, I do miss that because I think uh, it adds a lot to college football. And, and I, no Isaiah Crowell holding up a bulldog puppy and yeah. no, no Floyd, you know, Floyd Raven's mom forging a signature and Alex Collins parents absconding with the letter of intent and down the freeway yeah. <laughs> used to be so great. Uh, Tom, always a pleasure, man. Everybody check them out. Of course, all over the TV, the internets, the Twitters, uh, you got all kinds of stuff going for national signing day. So ESPN.com is your place and ESPN television as well. Tom, always a pleasure, man. Thank you. You bet. Braden. Thank you. Good. Just. That was Tom Luganville, of course, giving you guys some uh, broad strokes information about Cruton in the SEC. Hope you guys all enjoy National Signing Day. Aaron, I know it's a, it was a crazy day for you for a long time, and your career is a crazy day for me. I am so glad that I don't like have to do anything anymore on National Signing Day. I do enjoy the content now, but my God, it was a crazy day. When I worked at Rivals and at Athlon, it was, was serious. Insane. We had to do, we would do like six hours, t- seven hours of radio in a day. It's just nuts. And, and you heard Luganville talk about it. Like, they used to do 12 hours of TV at ESPN. Now they do two. So um, it's just a different, it's a different beast altogether, but, uh, yep. but still very important. Uh, Aaron fringe element is brought to you by fringe element is brought to you by Jasper's a good reason to let your hair down. And this is not going well. Pick a college coach to play football for. Jasper is a good reason to enter the transfer portal <laughs> from other shitty restaurants back to Jasper's. That Thank just about- God you don't have to transfer officially to stop eating bad food. <laughs> Come to I'm, Jasper's. I'm sorry. I stepped on that. That was, that just continued to get better and better. So I apologize. Uh, everybody go to Jasper's everybody. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter, Aaron Dugan at the Aaron Dugan at Aaron underscore mm-hmm. Dugan on Instagram. You can follow me at Braden Gall at 38 Godfrey as well. Special thanks to Tom Luganville. Enjoy national signing and day, everybody. to my homies that gave me signing day help and insight, which would be Q Chili, and Aaron Atkins. Shout out to them for like reminding me of the chaos. All good people, all good shouts. Please share the product. Thank you guys all for listening. This has been Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. Peace.